Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. Uh, the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Do you feel hurried? Uh, do you feel just overwhelmed by the pace of life you're living? Do you need rest? Or do you just want me to hurry up and get on with the message? I believe God wants to deliver us from the kind of uh, fatiguing existence that people get sucked into in our world. And I want to start today by clearing up a potential misconception, which is this, the call to live a rested life is not nostalgia for an era when the pace of life was slower. Uh, the little house on the prairie is not coming back and I would not move there if I could. Uh, I like living in our day. I like living and working in the Bay Area. I like being able to get on a plane and fly 2,000 miles to visit my family. I like the challenge of uh, many activities and strenuous uh, pursuits. I, I like to work hard and try to achieve and grapple with complexity. I think it's a really good thing to live in our world. And the call to live as rested people is not a nostalgic longing for an era that's gone and is not coming back. This is about living in the real world. But many people in our day, and maybe this includes you, have entered into a way of life that is toxic to your soul, that has the potential to destroy your spirit and drain the life out of you. If your whole life is just a rushed, unblinking movement from one task to the next, if you find yourself constantly running on fumes, trying to cram more into your days, if there's nothing more in your life than just increasing its speed, you're going to pay a real serious price. Your heart will become cold. Your spirit will become shallow and you'll become self-absorbed. So God gave to the human race a commandment. It's one of the most uh, it's on one of the most famous lists, the Ten Commandments. I think this particular commandment may be the most violated of all the ten in our day, in our society. And so my task today is to try as best I can to persuade you to begin to take this commandment seriously and to try to implement it into your life. This is what God said. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. This commandment is tied to what God himself did. Uh, the writer of Genesis says, uh, during the week of creation, each day God would work. He separated the light, uh, the dry land from the water, the earth from the heavens, the light from the darkness, uh, the sixth day was the highlight of God's work. God created human beings, male and female, in his image. And then Genesis 2 says this, On the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. 
Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, here's what I'd like to point out in this verse. We would expect Genesis to say, on the sixth day, God finished the work because he had been working all six days. On the sixth day, he created the man and the woman, and then that's the end of it. But the writer doesn't say that. The writer says, God finished his work on the seventh day. Question, what was God creating on the seventh day? The very last thing God created was the Sabbath, a holy day. God created the Sabbath, and then the writer says this amazing thing, God rested from all of his work. God himself rested. Why does he do this? Clearly, God doesn't rest because he was exhausted and burned out by what had gone on all week. God didn't get to the end of creation week and say to himself, thank me, it's Friday. (laughs) You have to think about that one for a second. Uh, God ordained that there would be a a rhythm to existence, work and rest, activity and reflection, production and then gratitude. God said, you need to remember that you are an eternal being. You need to remember that your life is about more than just how much you can cram into it between now and the grave. It's not just a frenzied race. You're destined for eternity. And as surely as you live here in this moment right now, you will occupy every moment of eternity. Your being will never cease. You are an eternal being. And so God said, one day a week, I want eternity to invade time. I want you to remember. God said, I want you to worship and I want you to play. You need to play. You need to be renewed physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If you don't do this, you will become exhausted, obsessive, self-preoccupied, irritable, ungrateful, and the compassion will just get squeezed out of you. You'll just skim life instead of living it. You'll skim relationships. You'll skim friendships. Abraham Heschel, a great writer about Sabbath, wrote this, Six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. On the Sabbath, we're to remember what really matters, why you were made, uh, what your destiny is, who you belong to, what the real gain is. I'll tell you a kind of parable that I read recently about Sabbath living. Uh, This involves the game of t-ball. The writer explains how his son played t-ball, the bottom step uh, on the 20-rung ladder leading to the major leagues. Uh, The rules for t-ball are different in many ways from the major leagues. Uh, First of all, there are only two teams in his son's league with 25 kids on each team. Uh, Parents are friendly to each other, Uh, which will dissolve in several years as the lottery for positions in the major leagues comes closer and closer. Uh, In t-ball, everyone bats each inning regardless of how many outs there are. In fact, an out is actually a rare occurrence in t-ball. All 25 players play each inning and are kind of littered throughout the infield, forming a wall of humanity through which it's virtually impossible for a ball to pass. Uh, On each team, there is one player who insists on fielding every ball and then running after the base runner, never throwing the ball. 
Uh, balls seem to be never thrown in T-ball. If they are thrown, they must either go over the head of the intended recipient or hit them in the back. <laughs> Every player who scores uh, hits a home run, no matter how many times the ball has been thrown I- into the outfield. There's no such thing as an error. In T-ball, uh, parents go on the field to console their children who have skinned their knees or bumped into a neighboring infielder. And of course, in T-ball, no one pitches. The ball just sits on a plastic tee waiting for the batter to hit it, which happens about once every three batters. Now, uh, on the other team uh, from this writer's son, there was a girl named Tracy. Uh, Tracy came each week, and he knew this because his son always played the same team, her team. Uh, She was not very good. She wore uh, Coke bottle glasses and had hearing aids in each one of her ears. Uh, She ran in her own special way with one leg pulling after the other and one arm windmilling wildly in the air. Uh, Everyone in the bleachers cheered for her regardless of what team uh, their kid played on. In all the games that he saw, he never saw her hit the ball, not even close. I mean, it sat there on the tee waiting to be hit and it never was. Sometimes after like 10 or 11 swings, Tracy would hit the tee and the ball would fall on the ground just like, you know, six inches from home plate. And everyone would yell like, run, Tracy, run. And Tracy would lope off to first, clutching the bat in both arms, just kind of smiling the whole way. Someone usually woke up and ran her down with the ball before she reached first. But everyone applauded her. So the last game of the season, Tracy came up to bat and threw some fluke or simply just a nod toward the law of averages, she creamed the ball. She smoked it right up the middle through the legs of 17 players. I like kids dodged it as it went by, seemingly gaining speed, hopping over second base and heading into center field. Once it reached there, there was no one to stop it Uh, because there are no outfielders in T-ball. You know, there are in the first few minutes of the beginning of each inning, but they all move to the infield to be closer to the action, or at least closer to their friends. Well, Tracy hit the ball and stood at home, just kind of delighted by the whole experience. Uh, Her coach yelled at her, run, Tracy. Like all the parents yelled at her. Everyone stood up and screamed like, run, Tracy, run. And Tracy turned and smiled and happy to please galloped off to first base. The first base coach waved his arms around and around like Tracy stopped on first base. Like, no, keep going, Tracy, keep going. Happy to please, she headed to second base. By the time she was halfway to second, seven members of the opposition had reached the ball and were passing it among themselves. It's a rule in T-ball that everyone of the defending team has to touch every ball. The ball began to make its long and secured route toward home plate, passing from one side of the field to the other. So Tracy headed to third, and adults yelled from the bleachers, go Tracy, go. Uh, Her coach stood at home plate calling her as the ball passed over the first baseman's head and landed in the fielding team's empty dugout. Come on, Tracy, come on, get a home run, he said. Tracy started for home, and that's when it happened. During the pandemonium, no one had noticed the 12-year-old mutt that had been sleeping in front of the bleachers five feet from the third base line. As Tracy rounded third, 
The dog, awakened by the screaming, sat up and wagged its tail at Tracy as she headed down the line. The tongue hung out, mouth pulled back in an unmistakable canine smile, and Tracy stopped right there, halfway home, 30 feet, 30 feet from a legitimate home run. She looked at the dog, and the crowd cheered, you know, home, go home, Tracy, go home. She looked at all the adults, her parents shrieking and catching it all on video. She looked at the dog. The dog wagged its tail. She looked at her coach. She looked at home plate. She looked at the dog like everything went into slow motion. And she went for the dog. It was a moment of complete stunned silence. And then perhaps not as loud, but deeper, longer, more heartfelt, everyone exploded in applause as Tracy fell on her knees to hug the dog. Two roads diverged on a third base line and Tracy went for the dog. Six days a week, God says. Six days a week, you go for home plate. Six days a week, you plot strategy, you seek to be more productive. Six days a week, the world screams, run, and people run until they're exhausted. Six days a week, you try to build up the score. You go for home plate. Six days a week, you labor by the sweat of your brow to wring a living out of this earth. But on the seventh day, the writers of scripture teach, on the seventh day, go for the dog. On the seventh day, remember what matters. On the seventh day, remember who you are. On the seventh day, remember for God's sake and for your sake, why it is that you were put on this earth. On the seventh day, remember that the seed of eternity has been planted in your heart and you will not come to the end of your being when you enter the grave. You are an eternal being. On the seventh day, remember the God who made you and loves you. On the seventh day, remember that compassion is greater than winning. God says six days a week, you run and you labor and you work You work by the sweat of your brow, but the seventh day is mine. I wanna talk about the seventh day. I wanna talk about the practice of the Sabbath, about why we were made. In Jesus' day, a lot of people turned the Sabbath into a burden. In his day, there were all kinds of rules about how you keep it. For instance, you couldn't carry a burden on the Sabbath. That would be work and that was, that was wrong. And people wanted to know, well, what's a burden? And so they came up with all these rules like anything made of iron is a burden. So if your shoes had iron nails, every time you lift them up, you would be carrying a burden so you couldn't wear them on the Sabbath. Like if they were woven together, even if they were heavier, they didn't count as a burden. So if they had iron in them, that's a burden. So you couldn't wear them. There were dozens and dozens of rules like that. There was one rabbi, I'm not making this up, who actually wrote that he would not eat an egg if it had been laid by a hen on the Sabbath because then the hen would have been working. It seems to me that it would have been a lot more work for the hen that wanted to lay an egg to have to hold it in all day long than to just lay it. I don't know. Jesus said, no more of that. No more of that nonsense. In Mark 2, he said this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not the people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Paul, when he wrote to the church in Rome in chapter 14, indicated quite clearly that uh, no one day is more sacred or holy 
than others. All days have to be redeemed. So this day is not about uh, the uh, like a rule of do's or don'ts. You know, maybe your schedule is such that it might involve no choice about working on Sundays. Uh, and that's it's not primarily about a particular day or a list of rules or about do's or don'ts. But we need a Sabbath rhythm in our lives. I want to challenge you to begin to take the Sabbath seriously, to begin to actually observe it and to make observing it a priority. Because I think there's a lot of Sabbath breaking going on in our midst. And I know I'm guilty of this. So this message is for me as much as as it is for anyone else. Uh, God commands us and longs for us to become Sabbath keepers. So in the time that remains, there are just four things that I want to suggest Sabbath keepers make part of their lives. Uh, And the first one is the first thing that writers of scripture say about the Sabbath. And that is rest. Just the word rest. The writers of scripture say on the Sabbath, God rested. He quit working. The Sabbath itself comes from a word that originally meant cease. Just stop and rest. And we ignore this at our own peril. Uh, There are consequences to not resting. I'm not a car guy. I like driving fast cars, but I don't really know much about them. And one of the things I've had to learn the hard way is the practice of auto maintenance. Uh, It just doesn't come naturally for me. In college, I had bought an old Nissan Sentra. And in the early days, I followed the owner's manual pretty pretty well and in terms of the maintenance guidelines and so on. Uh, But eventually things just started to slide. There were other things to do. I was busy in school and working and pastoring, and so I didn't do the proper the proper maintenance. And the worse condition the car was in, the less motivated I was to maintain it until eventually it was just falling apart. I mean, the hood was rusting out for reasons I could never understand. Uh, the tires were not in great shape. Uh, the alignment was enough of a problem that I had to keep the wheel at a perpetual 20 degree turn just to drive straight. Uh, The engine was reluctant to start, but once it did, uh, it would even continue for some time after I turned the car off and got out of the car. Uh, I remember a guy in college had a 75 Mustang Cobra in mint condition. It looked like it had just rolled off the assembly line. It was a beautiful car. The paint was gleaming. The, The frame was unmarked, unscratched. I mean, you could eat off the grill. You could see yourself in the rims, like what sounded like a 10,000 horsepower engine purred underneath the hood, like a contented animal. It was like something you saw out of a movie. And this guy looked as perfect as the car did. And I said to him one time, I had no idea anyone could drive something like that. And he looked at me and he looked at my car and he said, I had no idea someone could drive something like that. Uh, Question, what was the difference between his car and my car? It was maintenance, Uh, maintenance and thousands of dollars. You know, I can ignore the maintenance instructions from the owner's manual if I want to, but I will pay. It's just a matter of time. God says, I'm going to give you the owner's manual and I'm going to lay out some maintenance instructions for you. God says, I'm creating the Sabbath and on this day you are to rest. Just stop. Rest is a state of body and mind and soul that is essential for health. 
we must be rested to live well. Over the long haul, I can't violate that. There is a process through which we restore balance. We uh, rejuvenate energy. We regain perspective. We uh, wipe off the windshield and the problems uh, that have been magnified get downsized appropriately. Uh, We allow our emotions to recover. And most of all, Sabbath keepers just enjoy God. They enjoy being in the presence of God. God says, you need to have a day in the week where you simply don't do work. You realize it's possible to say no to all the overactivity and the frenzied activity of our day. No work, God says. Uh, Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Don't plan it. Just rest your body so that you can be refreshed and your emotions so that you could be renewed and your perspective so that you could be restored. The question is, are you doing this? Do you trust God enough? Because this really is a trust issue. Do you trust God enough to rest or are you actually saying to God, my devotion to work and success is more important to me than trusting you. I actually don't trust you. I don't trust that keeping the Sabbath will benefit me. Am I just deliberately disobeying him on this one? Am I a Sabbath keeper or a Sabbath breaker? God says, just rest people. Rest and you will discover an amazing thing. There is a real good chance, even if you don't do any work all day on the Sabbath, there is a really good chance the sun will come up again the next morning because it isn't your world. It was doing pretty well before you came along and it will probably still be here when you're gone from it. It's God's world. God created it and God sustains it. And on the Sabbath day, we rest and we realize that's true. All right, the next thing Sabbath keepers do is reflect. They reflect. And this too is built into the process of creation. We're told in the opening words of Genesis that God does work. He created the heavens and the earth. And the way God works is real striking. God just speaks and it is so. God just says it and it happens. Wouldn't it be a great way to work? God says, let there be light and there is light. God says, let there be darkness and there's darkness. There's this refrain that runs through Genesis. And God said, and it was so. And then it gets interesting because God doesn't just plunge ahead to the next task. The refrain has three uh, lines repeated over and over in Genesis 1. And God said, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. God stops. One of the amazing things about God and one of the most frustrating things about him for us is that he's never in a hurry. God could have created the whole thing with like the snap of his fingers, but he doesn't. He took time, apparently a lot of time. At the end of each day of each period, the writer of Genesis says, God stands back and reviews what he's done. It says in Genesis 1.31, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. God reflects on what happened that day and he savors it and he muses on it. Do you do this? You know, I was aware of a Sabbath time once when I was up at Hume Lake with my daughter when she was younger. Uh, Hume Lake is a place where you have a lot of time. Uh, You have time because it's a Sabbath place and you have time to reflect. 
And I do that quite a bit when I'm up at Hume. And I want to share one of those moments with you. It's kind of a personal personal moment, but I just want to share it with you. I was canoeing onto the lake with my daughter, and it was a gorgeous day, a uh, brilliant sun. We were out on the lake with no one else around. Uh, the only sounds you could hear were the sounds of nature, just the sounds of creation, birds singing, the water lapping against the side of the canoe, the wind going through the trees. And all of a sudden, this just kind of came to me. I wasn't planning on it, but I was just struck by what an amazing daughter I have. Like I thought about her love for nature, her love uh, of beauty and her creativity. And I thought about her intelligence and her quick mind. I thought about how fun she is to be with and about her gifts and the way God uniquely wired her. I thought about her desire for adventure and her love for life. And all of a sudden, the thought just came to me uh, in kind of like these words. And I get to be the father of this magnificent child. And I don't mean to idealize it. I mean, she certainly isn't perfect. Um, She's a flawed person and so am I. But my heart just welled up inside of me because uh, just like in that moment, for a moment, I had some sense of what it must be like to see the image of God in someone, which is in everyone. It's in the person you're sitting next to. If you're sitting next to someone, it's in, it's in you. But for a moment, it was like I had some little tiny sense of what it must have been like for God when God reflected on his work and he said, it is good. It's really good. Or what it must be like for God when God thought of you. You know, God thought about the possibility of your existence and God saw it unmarked by sin or junk. When God thought about you and your existence on earth, God said, it's good. It's very good that you should live and exist and bless the earth and be a joy to me. It's very good. And for a minute at least, I reflected. I had some taste of what it must be like. It was just, it was a remarkable moment. But I'll tell you something, moments like that don't happen if we just move from one task to the next in unblinking obligation mode. Moments of reflection can become little mini Sabbaths if we allow them to. One dad told me about a practice of his. Uh, He would get home from the end of a long day's work and go inside and know there were going to be demands placed on him. And so he would just stop and reflect and say a prayer God, thanks for this day. Thanks that I get to be a husband. Thanks that I get to be a dad. Help me, help me to remember when I walk through that door, God, that these little people are made in your image. Don't let me rush through this, God. Give me a loving heart. And, you know, I was thinking when he told me that, what would it be like if everyone decided that before they walked through any door, they just said, I'm going to be a Sabbath keeper. I'm going to do a little mini Sabbath before I walk through that door and say, God, give me a loving heart because he'll do that. We can have a little mini Sabbath at the end of each day. We can do what God did at the end of each day in the creation week. Just review what happened during the day. And hopefully there will come a moment where you're filled with gratitude about something and you'll think, man, that was good. God, thank you so much. I'm so grateful and you'll get more connected to him. You'll see some things that you did during the day that were really bad, and you can say to God, God, I have to confess this to you. You'll see some ways that uh, 
you'd like to change some things and you'll be able to say, God, would you help me become a different person? And he'll help you with that. You'll see some areas where uh, you've got a problem and you don't know what to do. And you can say to God, God, would you give me wisdom? And he will. You just kind of review your day. And you say, there's some burdens uh, or concerns from the day. God, I've got to go to sleep. You're going to be up all night anyway. So I'm just going to give them to you and you take care of them. I'm going to go to sleep. And he will. Are you reflecting? I'm going to give you a challenge on this. I want to be real honest. You know, maybe you're accomplishing a whole lot. You're running real hard and scoring a lot of runs from early in the morning until late at night, and your life looks pretty impressive. But the truth about you is prayer has become an afterthought. You don't think about God. Your soul is empty. You don't know your own heart. Pride is driving you. Envy is eating at your soul. Greed is dominating what uh, might have been a generous spirit. That conscience that could be sensitive has become dull and lazy. And you may be immersed in sin and you don't even know it anymore. You don't know your friends. You don't, uh, they don't know you. You don't love your family. Like you don't marvel at the gift of life, just the sheer miracle of waking up in the morning and being alive. You don't tremble in the presence of God and the God of the universe. Uh, you don't do any of that. You're successful, maybe affluent, secure, well thought of, influential, and spiritually dead, just like bankrupt before God. And the worst part is you don't even know it. You just stay real busy. You just keep running real fast so that you don't have to face what Jesus said about such people. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. You have ears, but you don't hear. You have eyes, but you don't see. And I'm asking you, will you change? Will you be still before God? Will you remember the seed of eternity that is planted in your soul? Sabbath keepers do that. I want to give you another challenge on this one. You know, sometime in the next few weeks, just read the Gospel of John. Just reflect on the life and the teachings of Jesus. All right, another thing Sabbath keepers do, and this is a great gift, summed up in a word, recreate. You need more than you know to engage in some activities, uh, hobbies or crafts or pastimes or games, uh, not because they have some practical value, not because they give you business contacts that will make you more successful, not because they provide opportunities for you to meet new people, but because there are things that just breathe life into you and remind you that God is just a good God. It reminds you that your worth is not measured by your ability to, to do work or your production capacity or how many times you cross home plate. Very often these activities involve the nature that God created because our joy in nature and mastering crafts and playing games and being creative is in fact a reflection of the image of God in our lives. That's the way God is. C.S. Lewis wrote, our leisure, even our play, is a matter of serious concern. What are the activities that just breathe life into you? The ones that remind you of God's goodness and restore your soul. Maybe it's taking a long walk uh, in nature. Maybe it's getting in a car and just driving really fast. Uh, maybe it's gardening. Uh, maybe you have a deep love for music through which God 
just renews you. Maybe you love to cook and you love to get together with other people who love to cook. Uh, maybe you love to eat and you want to get together with people who love to cook. Maybe it's just an all-out athletic competition, like no holds barred, because that gives you life. It makes you feel alive. Sabbath keepers are involved in rest and reflection and recreation. They get recreated. And then the last word, a beautiful word, one of my favorites, one of the most important things that a Sabbath keeper does is the word remember. God says in Exodus 20, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The word remember is a common connection with the Sabbath. Remember, God says, as he, as he explains it, that once you were slaves in Egypt, remember that at one time you were trapped, you were stuck, you were without hope. And then he says, remember what happened. Remember that I delivered you. Remember when the strong right hand of God plucked you out of hopelessness and gave you freedom. You remember. Remember about this world uh, that I, the Lord your God, created it. You didn't make it. It doesn't run according to your word. I created this world and I'm at work, work redeeming this world. You remember that. Sabbath keepers remember. A friend wrote about something that he did with his 10-year-old daughter uh, while she was at camp one summer. Uh, he told his daughter this, I want to do something with you that's going to be kind of a sign, kind of a symbol. Uh, so we need to take a little walk. And so they took a walk in the woods and they got some pine needles and he crushed them up and he said to his daughter, smell them. And she did. And she said, it smells just like Christmas. And he said, every time you smell that smell, I want you to remember that your dad is crazy in love with you. Every year when it's Christmas time, when a tree gets put up, every time you go through a park or on a hike in the woods, every time you smell that smell, I want you to remember your whole life long, no matter what other memories you have, because you'll have a lot of other memories, some painful memories, but in the midst of all those memories, I want you to remember one thing, someday, many, many years from now, when you're old and you've got white hair and wrinkles and I've been gone for a long time and you smell that smell, I want you to remember that you had a dad that was just crazy in love with you. I want you to remember. Isn't that beautiful? Well, this is what God has done for you and me. God says, I love you so much. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be crushed on the cross. God says, every time you see that cross, I want you to remember how much I love you. Sabbath keepers, remember. Every time you gather for worship, like we do uh, every week, we sing and we worship and we learn. But I think maybe most important thing we do is we just remember. With all the other horrible memories and all the, the painful world that we live in, we remember our Father who loves us so much. You can't remember like that without being changed. You can't. All right, let me pray for you. God, I pray this week as we observe the Sabbath, maybe it's a mini Sabbath uh, before we walk through a door where we just say, God, help me to be a loving person. Or it's a, a day that we take off throughout the week to just rest and uh, recreate and allow you to uh, mold us and shape us and give us perspective on life. I pray that you would renew us. 
Help us to observe this day, this holy day that you've created so that we can be filled, so that we can uh, have a perspective on this life and eternity. God, would you continue to teach us about the Sabbath? Help us to, uh, to honor it and to respect you, uh, to love you, and to obey you because that's what you want for us, God. And so help us to observe this day and to allow uh, you to use it to bring life to us. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And we hope to see you on Sunday soon.